0: After Flight Software aboard its 737 MAX jet was found to be the culprit of two airline crashes, the company was forced to ground all 387 of the two aircraft worldwide, impacting about 8,600 weekly flights and forcing 59 airlines, Boeing's customers, to come up with its own alternatives. The aerospace giant is facing the biggest reputational crisis in its history. Our aviation correspondent, Dina Camille was with Boeing executives in the United States last week. She's here to talk to us today. You are listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Kelsey Warner, future editor. I want to first just give a quick mention to a new podcast coming from the National. My colleague, arts and culture writer Rupert Hoxley is rolling out his new podcast next week, Books of My Life. Take a listen to this.
1: Hey, I'm Irvin Welsh. I am Bryn Terfel. Hi,
0: this is Arianna Huffington. I'm
1: Ian Rankin. I'm Alexander McCall Smith. And
0: these are the. And
1: these are the books books of my life. Books of
0: my life. And these are the books of my life. I'm Rupert Hawksley, arts and culture writer at the National, and I'd like to invite you to join me and some brilliant guests as we talk about all things books: the books they love, the books they hate, the books that made them cry, and the books that have had the biggest impact on their lives. Interviews with, among others, Ariana Huffington, Alexander McCall Smith, and Irvin Welsh will be available from October the thirtieth. You can subscribe today by finding Books of My Life on your favourite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you, too, about the books that have amused, confused, or even changed you. This is a conversation, so email us at booksofmylife at the national. As I mentioned at the start of the show, with me today is Dina Camel aviation correspondent who recently returned from a trip to Boeing's facilities in the United States. Hi, Dina.
1: Hi, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me on, me and my jet lag.
0: Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the studio. So can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself with Boeing in the United States last week?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This was a really exciting uh, trip and a really great opportunity to really get into the heart of uh, Boeing's production facilities. It was a bit of a whirlwind trip. We covered three cities in one week, all of them very key to what um, Boeing does and its different business units. Our first stop was in Seattle at Boeing's Renton factory. That's the home of the 737 MAX, where that jet is still being produced even while it's grounded. Um, We also went to their Everett factory uh, where they produce this 777X. Um, known for its folding wings. Um, And then we had a brief stop in St. Louis. Just a quick signal that Dina is a huge aviation nerd. The folding (laughs) wings
0: that everyone... (laughs) Gotta have the folding (laughs) wings. ...has been anxiously anticipating. So what are the folding wings on the 777? So at this manufacturing facility, they're manufacturing the biggest... Aircraft on Earth, basically, and they're so big the wings have to fold.
1: It absolutely is the biggest wingspan on any aircraft at the moment. Um, so, in order to park them at airport slots, the wings actually need to fold in and go into place. So, we we saw some of that in the making. Then we had a brief uh, stop in St. Louis in Missouri, uh, where we. Um, took a look at Boeing's uh, fighter jets, Um, and then it was another plane to uh, our last stop at Cape Canaveral in Florida, um, where Boeing basically says, here's where we build the future. Um, This is where they're building um, their latest spacecraft, and this is where NASA launches rockets into space. So
0: from commercial airlines to defense industry to space flight, Boeing was really trying to give you guys a sense of what a vast company Boeing is. and why? Why did? Why were you invited? Um, <laughs> Great question. <No>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we were actually um, the only UAE-based media that were invited on this trip, and this is something that Boeing organizes every two years ahead of the um, Dubai Air Show, um, which is happening next month um, in November, um, and and this is to basically give. Journalists, um, in depth briefings, and access to their executives mm-hmm. um, about their latest products uh, across their business. Sure. Units.
0: So, of course, a different tone this year, given the ongoing. I mean, it seems like there's breaking news on Boeing practically every day as the 737 Max crisis unfolds. Can you talk a little bit about where we're at in this story? The airline is, or the aircraft, is still grounded. But what what have we found out over the last couple of weeks about this investigation?
1: You're right. The news that unfolded over the weekend and into this week has uh, definitely meant that Boeing is facing a deeper crisis and is facing additional pressure. You know, everyone from regulators, airlines, investigators. um, And this happened uh, after messages were leaked between two Boeing pilots. Uh, essentially raising questions about the performance of the so-called MCAS, which is the flight control system uh, that was blamed for the two crashes, um, where one of them said... Um, while he was um, on a 737 MAX simulator, um, that the MCAS is running rampant. Um, so that really has raised concerns on why mm-hmm. Boeing didn't share that information earlier. These messages were from November 2016, so obviously preceding the crashes.
0: I believe it was only after they received pressure from the FAA, the US recu- regulator, that they did, in fact, release the messages, which wasn't necessarily a great look for them amid public trust questions.
1: That's that's the exact issue. It raises um, questions about transparency. It raises questions about um, integrity. And it has, of course, um, there was an, an outcry that ensued because, you know, it's prompted le- letters from... The U.S. aviation regulator uh, demanding an explanation for this uh, from from the Boeing CEO, and of course, it's worsened um, Boeing's uh, pu- public image. Public image, stock price, kind of across
0: the board. They're having to scramble. So, absolutely,
1: you... this is critical timing for Boeing as it prepares to return the Max to the skies.
0: Mm-hmm. So, against this backdrop, you are actually arriving in Seattle. Um, I mean, this news broke. After you had left, but the 737 MAX crisis has been ongoing for more than a year now, um, kind of with no end in sight. So can you talk about a little bit what it was like to be in front of these executives, to be in these facilities? What was the mood? Uh, Who did you talk to?
1: Sure. This was a really interesting time to be in Seattle in the middle of this unfolding crisis with the 737 MAX. And it is interesting and noteworthy to point out that Boeing actually provided – journalists with access to its um, production facilities, to its 737 MAX executives um, during this time. Um, So one would have thought that they may have actually chosen to cancel um, this um, uh, trip that they traditionally do before the air show, uh, given the... the, um, magnitude of the crisis but they chose to proceed uh, so that was interesting we we met with key executives um, on the 737 program that included uh, Mark Jenks the vice president and general manager of the 737 program uh, we met with um with Jennifer Han- Henderson the Boeing 737 chief pilot and also crucially uh, with Hassan Munir uh, Boeing's um, chief of sales
0: and sir, who was the most forceful advocate for Boeing in terms of did they apologize? Did they? What did they say that they were doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the the mood there was was very solemn, very somber. Um, there is a sense of. Uh, There was a very deep sense of how sorry they felt that this happened. There was a very big emphasis on safety and what they're doing uh, to reinforce the safety culture at at, at Boeing. The theme that was going throughout is that they're um, very much working hard to return the aircraft uh, back to service in in the safest way possible, that they were communicating with their customers, with airlines, with the regulators, and... Very interestingly, a lot of the employees that we met there have said that they would put their own families on board when the aircraft is is uh, ready to return. Just as a testament of of how they felt about its its safety going back, their focus right now is on returning the airline the aircraft back to the skies, and they really highlighted the scale and the magnitude of um operations it would take to return all these parked seven three seven Max's out of storage and and back to airline customers in the best shape uh mm-hmm. to get them to to fly. So that was very interesting. So was it a
0: confident tone or um more like that they were capable of doing this? Because Boeing top the chief executive has said fourth quarter twenty nineteen we'll have will be testing 737 Max again for and other global regulators have said No, earliest will be first quarter 2020. You know, it keeps getting pushed back. So it has seemed like the regulators and Boeing are putting out sort of dual track messaging where Boeing is saying they're going to get the 737 MAX back to the skies by Q4 2019. Regulators around the world have pumped the brakes a bit more and said probably Q1 by the earliest is what we're now seeing. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Boeing is coming out with that kind of confident line, and why they are coming out with that line, and what are their plans to retest the max?
1: Yeah, absolutely. the The sense that we got when we were there is that they're working very hard on a series of um, software fixes uh, to the to the MCAS, the um, flight control system we discussed earlier. So we got to speak to Jennifer Henderson, the the, uh, 737 chief pilot at Boeing, Um, and she specifically said that this was a very solemn and difficult time for Boeing, that they are um, reinforcing their their safety culture um, at the company, and that they're working very hard on a series of of fixes to the to the MCAS to the software, um, so that they want to ensure that the sequence of events that happened during the crashes uh, will never happen again, and that this will become again a safe uh, aircraft to to fly. So they're very much humbled by the experience and the lessons learned, uh, but they're working very hard in delivering those, uh, trying to deliver those fixes, try to convince not just the regulators, but also um, the flying public that this plane is safe to fly again. And, and, and therein lies the next challenge. How do you convince travelers um, that this plane is, is safe to fly?
0: So from your time at Boeing, what, were you, what was your sense of the company culture? What's the work culture like there these days? How are employees handling this?
1: Well, definitely, the, the mood was very somber and solemn, and there's a sense of uh, reflection uh, internally within within the company about what all this has meant, um, you know, both in terms of the safety culture, in terms of their um, engineering procedures, but also just in terms of how employees, as individuals, as human beings, have felt about the impact of um, of, of their work, and a very crucial uh, image, really, that struck me when we were there is a visit to um, Boeing's uh, safety center, uh, which is a place that is dedicated to commemorating uh, key uh, aircraft airplane crashes within the industry that have happened across the years that have resulted in changes in the industry to make aircraft more safe. And and one of the most striking images in in that safety center, there was a series of um, uh, watches that were stopped at the timing of when those aircraft went down and then a description of the accident and what was done by the industry to address um, the issue at the time.
0: That is incredibly eerie.
1: It, 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 I, I definitely had goosebumps walking through that. So
0: sort of built as a memorial and reminder to. And so does, does the 737 MAX have a presence in this in this setup
1: absolutely it does and and that was one of the more um chilling and 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 really um uh, powerful images there it was Sort of, I don't know how to quite describe it, but it was um, kind of a water applique, a glass and and, and water um, installation installation of sorts that had engraved on it the uh, the the dates and and the aircraft details of the two crashes of the seven three seven max in Ethiopia and in Indonesia, Um, and and there was no description yet of the of the industry. So uh, sort of a water
0: fountain memorial at their safety facility for the 737 MAX. Fix exactly, exactly.
1: Center. And it serves as a reminder, uh, and it's also a place where employees can can go and, and reflect. Bit, and- sure.
0: It's a bit kind of eerie, but I guess, I mean, in terms of making sure they're taking care of their employees and giving their employees an outlet to process
1: Yes. And, and also uh, when we were there, they really emphasized the idea that this is um, a center where a lot of their uh, Boeing employees are encouraged to, to go and, and to have discussions about um, safety culture and, and concerns about safety and, and so forth. So it, it, it was quite one of the most striking really um, images. And
0: was that something that you were brought to as media or was it something you just observed in terms of just being at the facility?
1: It was part of the agenda. We were purposefully okay. brought there to witness this. So I thought that was another uh, interesting uh, opening up uh, from Boeing to to talk about this. Sure.
0: So I guess to switch gears a little bit, let's talk about um, you went to Cape Canaveral, which is Space Coast in the U.S. <laughs> it's where our uh, rocket headed off to the moon back in 1969. Yes. And now it's where Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Boeing um, – everyone's trying to get in the game of space travel. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what Boeing's plans are? They're currently teamed up with NASA. Uh, what are they building for NASA?
1: Well, this is uh, was a really exciting leg of the journey because uh, you know how when we were kids and some of us wanted to be astronauts, yeah. this <laughs> is kind of where it unfolds. Um, so it's very exciting to to be there at the heart of the production facility where Boeing is building its latest uh, latest spacecraft, the uh, Starliner.
0: So the Starliner is. Can you just describe to me what kind of spacecraft
1: this is? Uh, sure. Yes, and briefly, it is the um, space vehicle that is going to transport astronauts uh, from Earth to the International Space Station. Uh, the ISS, which is uh, basically an orbiting research lab in space. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea really behind this program, it's the spacecraft was, um, is something that Boeing is developing under contract from NASA. So
0: NASA back in 2011 said, it's becoming too expensive for us to run these shuttle buses up to the ISS, which is, to me, the ISS is such a Symbol of like multinational cooperation. I mean, we all just saw Hazza from the UAE head on up there as the UAE's first astronaut, and you know he traveled alongside an American and a Russian and a Russian. And the U.S. has been paying Russia to bring their astronauts up on the Soyuz since two thousand eleven, and now they're kind of saying no more. We actually can create in our own backyard. The rockets and the transportation exactly. we need, and that, so that's the idea. Yeah. Boeing and Elon Musk's SpaceX have gallantly stepped up and said we will <laughs> take the eleven billion dollar contract. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right, and so very they're selfless. sharing, yeah, exactly. So they're sharing this eleven billion dollar contract. Um, SpaceX is working on uh, it's their Falcon X rocket, which I think we've all seen YouTube videos of them taking off and landing on those floating platforms. And so Boeing is building something kind of similar.
1: Yes, it's it's a kind of stepping up to NASA's challenge, uh, whereby they want to build a spacecraft, as you rightly point out, to um, end the U.S. reliance on um, on Russian transport. So instead of paying, uh, you know, millions of dollars to the, to the Russians for for this um, to ferry their own astronauts, they want to do it themselves, and they've commissioned Boeing and SpaceX to um, to build these spacecraft. To, to, to do exactly that. So uh, next time a UAE astronaut flies into space and to the ISS, it might be on an American-made aircraft. Could be from Cape Canaveral. Exactly.
0: So what are the? So where is, um, I know that this spacecraft has had a few delays in production. They kind of keep pushing the test time back. What's the time frame? And then who are the passengers outside of uh, NASA astronauts? Who sure. Will be- well,
1: this is all moving very fast at the moment. So um, they have set um, already a date for the test flight. That's going to be uh, on December 17th for the first test flight of the Starliner. Um, and that's going to be from the western u s from uh, white Sands uh, missile range in New Mexico and then before that uh, they're going to have another test in in November when we were there witnessing the production of this um, you know spacecraft, which was quite incredible they they were already in the final assembly um, stages of putting it all together so. It was a very exciting time to 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 be there, watching this uh, kind of unfold um, just a couple of months before uh, the first test flight. The idea, of course, other than just transportation, um, as you rightly point out, is is the passengers themselves. So there is four seats, four spaces that are reserved for NASA astronauts, mm-hmm. um, and it's got space a total space for seven. Okay, so four for NASA, the other three, three mystery
0: passengers. <laughs>
1: mystery passengers. So actually Boeing is is now in in, in talks for uh, sales of those um, seats. The idea is that this is a step really towards uh, commercializing um, mm-hmm. this the spacecraft. And so, sort
0: of the push towards privatization of like so far, it seems like space agencies have been comfortable to contract out work on hardware and software. And this is a bit of a move to actually get private citizens space up in the ISS, perhaps under the auspices of maybe a pharmaceutical company or an agricultural tech company or, you know, flying mm-hmm. under the banner of a company that, rather that, than the that's banner exactly of a country. Right.
1: The idea, um, as, as Boeing explained to us when we were there, the idea is that um, they – uh, want to get contracts from from companies who want to do research in space um, either for product development or for corporate research um, in ways that you know uh, space might affect the, the the final product that they're uh, trying to get to um so yes um pharmaceutical companies for sure uh fiber optic uh, companies small businesses that want to do cutting edge research and um, and technology uh, they can actually um buy a seat uh, to go to the mm-hmm. ISS. And so uh, on one hand, they're looking at, you know, what companies can we fly up there for research? But on the other hand, um, this is uh, an opportunity for them to sell tickets uh, for, for space tourism, you know, wealthy people who can afford to, to have a holiday in space.
0: Very exciting. So <laughs> my, um, I guess my last question while we have you here is um, last week back on Earth, for yeah. all of us, plebs who are uh, concerned with budget travel. Uh, Etihad announced an Air Arabia tie-up to launch a budget airline um, from space to
1: budget travel. Here we are.
0: What is what is your what is our aviation correspondent's hot
1: take on Etihad's decision to do this? Well, that brings us firmly back down to earth, I think. Um, it's it, it was a very interesting move, and it's one that apparently both companies had been talking about behind closed doors for, for many years, according to executives and analysts who'd, who'd been aware of the matter. Basically, Etihad has said that this is part of their transformation program, and many analysts have said that it means um, having a new budget airline means that Etihad can Take the spare capacity of its um, A320 Airbus A320 narrow bodies um, and then be able to put it towards that new uh, new carrier. Any additional costs in terms of uh, employees, uh, staff, um, aircraft that can be put towards that um, airline as Etihad starts to streamline more and more its its operations and become a leaner and more agile operation, kind of focus on point to point destinations. And the idea that they would do this with Air Arabia, which is one you know, of the biggest and the oldest low cost airline operator helps to towards uh doing that and provides um travelers from from Abu Dhabi with a low cost option to to travel um and so this is the idea is that it's 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 targeted among other audiences towards um blue collar workers uh, who okay. might who might opt so for, for the cheaper option.
0: cheaper more flight options more flight routes? All right, fine. That was not my last question. My last question is about <laughs> your trip on the chief executive of Boeing's private jet because oh. <laughs> I know that that's how you got to Cape Canaveral.
1: <laughs> it, it is indeed. All um, right. Uh, first time on a private jet. Um, she says humbly, um, <laughs> uh, it, "It was quite an incredible experience that we actually got got to do that." Um, Boeing was. Uh, very determined to uh showcase their space program and because of the flight logistics this was the fastest quickest and most reliable way to do so mm. and they made that available to us um it, it was very exciting it's it was um BBJ uh, 737 um uh, not a max obviously um <laughs> uh, older <laughs> older generation um aircraft mm-hmm. um very swanky interiors very comfortable this is the top notch executive flying um uh experience and um what did you eat <laughs> we had breakfast on the plane um uh, hot breakfast um s- eggs um, fruit yogurt um we there there are flat beds but we Having just woken up uh, that morning, did not get to experience those um, plush leather seats. Very spacious. Um, All right, so it sounds like a private beds. Uh, exactly, a, a bed, a private not that bathroom I've ever been with on leather. One. No, <laughs> not me neither. Um, well, so this is no cattle class.
0: <laughs> Dina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any platform you listen on. And if you've got a couple minutes, we'd really appreciate a review. All that remains is to thank our producers, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. Thanks for listening.